Today's episode is brought to you by the NBA Store. A new year brings a new start to a new NBA season. Suit up with the latest gear to show your support for your team. We may be sidelined from going to the arena, but that doesn't mean you can't watch basketball from your couch in style. We are teaming up with the NBA and Podgo to bring our listeners up to 75% off on selected items. Yes, you heard that right. Go to podgo.co forward slash NBA for up to 75% off selected items from the NBA store. The NBA, where amazing happens. And whether you're quarantined in the house or not, you still don't want your gym bag being all nasty. Our sponsor today, Manscaped, is here to make sure your stuff stays in check. Manscaped promotes clean hygiene when it comes to your junk. Thanks to their lawnmower 3.0, Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming. While you're probably at home looking for something to do, why not make manscaping a part of your new routine? You don't want to look like you're sitting on Ming's shoulders from WCW, and you don't want Brutus the Barber Beefcake chomping away down there, and you dang sure don't want to use that Freebird hair removal cream. Manscaped is forever changing the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0. Precision engineered tools for your family jewels. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with new and improved Lawnmower 3.0 waterproof cordless body trimmer and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. This third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to prevent manscaping accidents. Your goods are going to be nick free thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin safe technology. Inside the perfect package you'll also find the Manscaped Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing deodorant and moisturizer. You're probably sitting on the couch like Al Bundy right now anyway, so you might as well keep everything smooth and fresh. Subscribe to the perfect package to get a new replacement blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months, making sure your trimmer stays fresh and clean. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing manscaped boxer briefs this is the perfect package for your perfect package get 20 percent off and free shipping with code slop drop at manscaped.com that's slop drop s-l-o-p-d-r-o-p do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job that's 20 percent off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using the promo code slop drop s-l-o-p-d-r-o-p That's a slot drop. I can answer that. That's a slot drop. What is that move? That's a slot drop. Slot drop time. That's a slot drop. Oh, that's a slot drop. Slot drop. Slot drop. Slot drop. The slot drop indeed. What's up, humanoids? Welcome back to the slot drop. This is Nathan Rogers at Woopig Sumo on Twitter. And my tag partners for this episode is the unluckiest man in the world, Bad Luck Chapman. And the manager of champions, the pawn king of the Queen City, Stephen E. What's up, fellas? What is going on, Nathan? What's up? Another day, another dollar. And speaking of dollars, let's talk about the million dollar man. (laughs) Ted DiBiase, Theodore Marvin DiBiase Sr. was born on January 18th. Happy birthday. 1954 in Miami, Florida. He is the biological son of wrestler Helen Nivens and entertainer Ted Wills. At the age of five, he was adopted by wrestler Iron Mike DiBiase, who was a tough and respected pro wrestler. When Ted was 15, Mike was filling in 
for Terry Funk at a show. When he died in the ring during the match, Harley Race rushed to the ring and tried to resuscitate him, but was unsuccessful. After Mike's death, Ted's mother suffered from alcoholism and depression. So Ted moved to Wilcox, Arizona and lived with his grandparents. Later attended West Texas State University on a football scholarship. And fun fact, gentlemen, Ted DiBiase, Terry Funk, Dory Funk Jr., Tito Santana, Tully Blanchard, Dusty Rhodes, Bobby Duncombe, Manny Fernandez, Bruiser Brody, <laughs> Stan Hansen, Black Jack Mulligan, and Barry Windham all attended and played college sports at this same university, West Texas State University, now known as West Texas A&M. Wow. I mean, you, you, you could put a high-level wrestling card on anywhere in the country with, with who you just named right there. I mean, that, that, that would be pay-per-view quality. It's not the uh, not to be confused with the West Texas Rednecks. Correct. Yeah. It's a it's a small town. I say small, thirteen thousand people, but a part of that Amarillo metro area where the Funks ran a territory. DiBiase <laughs> followed his parents' footsteps and left college to pursue professional wrestling. Ted was trained by Terry and Dory Funk Jr. and in June of 1974 made his pro wrestling debut as a referee for the Funks. In 1975, he went to Bill Watts's Mid South. And his first match was a loss against the late great Danny Hodge. Wow, oh, I, didn't I, know that. I didn't know that either. I'll be damned. I'll be damned. That that that's awesome, man. That's awesome. You know, like I said before, you 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 could just if you were to to just bundle up all those boys that you you mentioned earlier from that school and put them on a card anywhere in the country, man. I mean, that would just that's that's an old school just. Gosh, man, that's a pay per view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, imagine, imagine running the the independence. Oh, you know, man. down there during this time. You know, uh, uh, to see all these guys making their, you know, making their or getting their break, or you know, just seeing them perform on that level. Man, what I wouldn't, what I wouldn't do to go down, go back in time and see that. In 1979, DB had a short stint with Vince McMahon Senior's WWF and became their first North American champion. Shortly after winning it, he lost to Pat Patterson. Patterson has something around his... What is that? Breast knuckles, man. He's got something like breast knuckles. And why? Patterson, right legs, Pat Gabriasi. Pat Patterson, lifting high in the air. Another American heavyweight title. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, here is the time. Nine minutes and 15 seconds, and the winner, the new North American heavyweight champion, Pat Patterson. Who unified the title with his Southern American championship, which was fictional, making it uh, Patterson the first ever WWF Intercontinental Champion. On his way out of the company, DiBiase was Hulk Hogan's opponent in Hogan's very first Madison Square Garden match where Hogan was a heel. DiBiase put Hogan over, which would later work to his benefit. We'll hit on that a little bit. DiBiase went back to work for the NWA, Mid-South, and all Japan. He worked with fabulous Freebirds, Tommy Wildfire Rich, Terry Taylor, Jim Duggan, Dr. Death Steve Williams, Paul Orndorff, Dick Murdoch, The One Man Gang, Junkyard Dog, Matt Bourne, Ric Flair, and many more. And on October 14, 1983, he won the NWA United National Championship in a tournament against Jerry Lawler by forfeit, but lost it three months later to Michael P.S. Hayes. 
man, I mean, it just it, it, seriously, when you when you say those names, man, it just gives me chills because those guys like God, that was such a hotbed back back in the 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 early mid and late 80s. Texas was something else. I, I mean, I can't say it enough. I could get jump in a time machine and go back. I, I kind of know where I would want to be. In 1985, Stan Hansen chose DiBiase to be his tag partner to replace Bruiser Brody, who left for New Japan. DiBiase and Hansen held the All Japan PWF tag titles for two years after Bill Watts took Mid South National under the UWF name. He eventually sold the promotion to Jim Crockett, and during negotiations, there was mutual interest between DiBiase and the WWF. Yeah, two years, man. That's a long time, especially back then. Right, right. Well, in, in what year did you say this was? 85, back when titles Eight. meant something. Yes, you know, there was yes. a lot more titles back then, if you think about it, for this territory, that territory, mm-hmm. national this, U.S. that, world this, American that. But they it still just, meant something because right. people would hold on to them and not change them every two weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, look yeah. at Flair. You know, that's why Flair was was the real, you know, world heavyweight champion. He had that title and he went to all these other territories mm-hmm. and was the heavyweight champion in every territory he went to. You know, and that's what made him, and you know, to a lot of people, the real, uh, you know, world champion uh, of wrestling. I mean, he just, where Hogan, you know, you had Hogan, who was just the world champion at WWF, you know, and then he went to WCW, but his, you know, the eighties and stuff like that was spent, you know, in the WWF being their top baby face where Flair was traveling everywhere yeah. and was the world champion everywhere. Mm-hmm. Right. Vince McMahon had the idea for the million dollar man gimmick character for a long time, but didn't tell anybody. He was just waiting for the right person. And once he knew DiBiase was interested in coming to the WWE, he immediately knew he had his guy. Vince did not tell DiBiase what the gimmick was, only he had an idea for him that was fresh, had never been done before, and was going to be huge. Vince didn't want to tell him what the gimmick was until he'd signed the contract because he didn't want him to go out, sign for somebody else, and use the gimmick elsewhere. Pat Patterson told DiBiase if Vince were to wrestle, it would be the gimmick that he would choose for himself. DiBiase consulted with Terry Funk, and Funk basically said, you better do it. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine, imagine being a, a wrestler on any level, you know, I, you know, you're on your independent and, and, and before Teddy signed with, with the WWF at the time, you know, if there was ever such a thing as the hottest free agent on the market, DiBiase would have been that person. Can you imagine being, let's say your early thirties and you walk in and Vince McMahon tells you, you know, offers you a job and everybody and their brother. But before you get this job, you have to sign the contract, right? Well, but not only that, but everybody and their brothers looking at you telling you, trust me, you want to sign this. Yeah. You want to sign this. Yeah. You know how promoters are, you know, take my word on this. Trust me, sign. Then we'll talk. I mean, (laughs) put them in a bad spot. Yeah, it is. You know, but once you talk to all your peers and everybody's sitting there telling you, bro, you need to, you need to do this, you know, in your third twenties, thirties, whatever, you're staring Vince McMahon in the face and everybody's saying, trust me, just sign it. Right. God, could you imagine? You know, he that, that poor guy could have came out as uh, Eggman. Yeah. <laughs> DBIC ended up signing with WWF, going in blind about this new gimmick, trusting Vince's word that it would be something that would be a huge push. And on May 15th, 1987, at a house show in Houston, Texas, DBIC made his return to the WWF as a babyface, came to the ring and announced to the crowd that he would be competing in the WWF from now on. DiBiase went on to lose his first several matches at house shows until he attacked Sam Houston, turning him heel 
right before the debut of his new gimmick. Wow. <laughs> I, uh, uh, my first, my first ever WWF show was, uh, was in Selland Arena back in, oh, I want to say 87, maybe 88. It, it's ironic because Jim Fallon was at the same show and, you know, years later we would, would always joke and, and jab at each other for, for being there. But, uh, but I, I think that was the show that, that Ted DiBiase, do you remember he did the gimmick where he would pay people to oh, bounce yeah. a basketball or oh, yeah. to, you know, do some sort of feat? Well, I believe he was doing push-ups and, and Virgil caused him to, to, you know, not be able to get the 10 or 15 push-ups or whatever it was. You know, I, I tell you what, from a very early age, I was probably 12, maybe, maybe 11, 12, 13, give or take. I, I, I tell you what, man, like, I love to hate the million dollar man. Everybody knew that guy. Uh, everybody could relate to that guy and everybody wanted to choke that guy. And and that's how it was for me growing up. It's like this guy, that laugh, man, you want to talk about, you know, like getting a gimmick over that laugh that he did was just, <laughs> oh, I, I love it. I love it. I love that, it. That laugh, he was doing a promo at a taping backstage and Vince McMahon just happened to walk by and hear that. And he said, that's it. You do that wow. every time you do a promo now. Yeah. And that's how yeah. the laugh started. That, 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 that's awesome. That's awesome. I, I, you know, again, imagine walking into to Stanford, Connecticut yeah. and, and sitting <clears throat> down at a table across from Vince McMahon and Vince McMahon telling you to sign the dotted line that he's got something special for you. And, and you know you get up and you walk out because I think that's the way the story goes is he got up and he walked out and you know uh Patterson came up to him and told him like look man you know I can't tell you much but if you know if you can imagine what it would be like to be a wrestler in Vince McMahon's you know Vince McMahon as a wrestler that's 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 basically where we're going and just man that 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 just the way that the character was was conceived Man, that's it's so awesome. And and we were talking about it earlier. You know, could there have been somebody else to play that character? I know there was a couple of names thrown around, and I'm sure we'll get to that. Rick Flair's name was actually thrown out there. Really, I didn't I didn't know that. I didn't know that, man. I I I thought I I thought I heard Terry Taylor's name getting thrown out, but that may that may have had something to do with the Mister Perfect gimmick. I'm not sure, but. You know, could you? I just I couldn't imagine nobody, not even Ric Flair. I couldn't imagine him doing the 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 Million Dollar Man character. On a June twenty seventh episode of WWF Superstars, DiBiase had his first vignette as the Million Dollar Man. He had a bodyguard named Virgil who was always by his side and would often perform humiliating tasks such as rub his feet. Rumor is the idea for Virgil's name was a jab at NWA Booker Virgil Runnels, aka Dusty Rhodes. And his signature move, the Million Dollar Dream, which put people to sleep, was also supposed to another jab at Dusty, who was nicknamed the American Dream. I, uh, you know, to me that that that's crazy. I didn't know that Chapman was saying something to me earlier about it, and you know, I I, I had never heard that story. And to me, that's just you know, it doesn't surprise me. It seemed like at the time, you know, uh, uh, that was that was kind of a thing to do was to poke fun without necessarily, you know, calling them by name. You know, uh, and right. well, we got to remember uh, Jim Crockett Promotions had just bought you know Bill Watts out UWF. Yeah. They were expanding mm -hmm. nationally, so that, this was Vince's first taste of some national competition. So, you know, he was uh, like I said, Flair's name was thrown out there. He was probably wanting to get him from JCP. 
Uh, a little little jab at Dusty here, a little jab there. So, could you imagine Ric Flair? I, no, I I I don't. Man, it I was just, the Nature Boy. There's just there's a difference, you know, in the two. And and, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but man, I just don't. I I just could not, and I don't even know if I couldn't. I don't want to think of anybody else as playing, you know, the million dollar man character, except for. Ted DiBiase, you know, I just, you know, there's just certain things in life you go about and you don't want it to change. And that's gotta be one of them, man. That, that guy, that guy just, he played the part so well. Well, look at how short lived it was, you know, Flair was with the WWF for what, two years. Was it that long before he went back to WCW? Yeah. Give or take two, three years. Yeah. So you just think it would, it would have ended there, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, DiBiase started using his famous catchphrase, everybody has a price for the million dollar man. And what it all comes down to is this. Money isn't everything. It's the only thing. And everyone, everyone has a price for the million dollar man. <laughs> they started showing vignettes of him flaunting his power and money around by paying people off to get his way. There was one where he had a paper cut on his thumb. So Virgil wheeled him into a doctor's office. And uh, he bribed the uh, the receptionist to get him into the doctor before anybody else. There's like sick patients out there waiting. He bribed the manager of a public swimming pool to close for the day, get the kids yeah. off so he could have the pool to himself. Uh, bribed restaurants and hotels that were you know for things that were already reserved. Uh, in reality, his travel was arranged by the WWE for first class and five star accommodations, and was given extra cash by the WWE to throw money around in public to build up his character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I heard a story one time that, uh, that, that when he would go to the bar, you know, uh, he would, you know, somebody, somebody told him if, if, you know, if Vince was at the bar, how would he act, you know, mm-hmm. and he just started throwing money around and buying everybody drinks and this, that, then get his, you know, receipts or whatever it is and yep. turn them back into yeah. the company. And yeah, then, I mean, you know, re- reimburse him it, during all this you know he, he went in blind not knowing what was going to happen and eventually you know they had flew his wife out she met with him they took him out wined him and dined him and said this is this is what you're going to be doing and like you said he, he would blow money and turn in his receipts and can you imagine having a job like that i mean i know the i know the travel schedule is grueling and uh, just being a wrestler performing so many times a week is, is awful but I, I, I figure it's probably a little bit better though when you're flying first class. Oh God! <laughs> first class, first class, first class accommodations. You know everything. everything. Five star hotels. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Limos picking him up at the at the airport. The whole nine yards. You know, it, the way that I understood it is, you know, he lived as if Vince McMahon was a professional wrestler. That yeah. was the that was the deal. You Can know? you imagine Vince, being a Tito Santana during this time, we'll see in Ted DiBiase getting all this special treatment, and you know, he's driving hundreds of miles a week. Oh, absolutely, man! And, and to me, it, it 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 well, you know, it had to cause a little bit of heat backstage with all the boys that have been there for yeah, for a sure. minute looking at this well, and have to pay for their but, own but, stuff. You know, I don't know. Flaunt that money around and buy them drinks and yeah, that's what I was going to say. I don't know. I, I think I, I think, man, I tell you what, I don't care how many drinks you buy me. Whenever I'm stuck in a compact car with four other guys. And we're driving across, you know, three states to make it to the next show, and this dude's flying for free. We're gonna have we're gonna have some issues, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, 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 what are you gonna do? You're not gonna go up to Vince McMahon. Oh yeah, I mean, there's nothing you can do. But you know, you, yeah, you know that like that little bit of just 
you know, that side eye, you know, people, when they see him, they're side eye. Yeah. Enjoy your drink, Chapman. Yeah. yeah, 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 no doubt, no doubt. Yes. He began inviting fans uh, at live events to perform humiliating acts such as kissing his feet or barking like dogs for money. A few of these fans, one of them was an unknown Linda McMahon at the time, whom he bribed to bark like a dog. Another one was a young Rob Van Dam, who he bribed to uh, get in the ring and kiss a sweaty bare foot after a match. Mm. Man, I, I, I'm telling you that 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 gimmick that he did was brilliant. I've seen everything from a basketball to to the push-ups. You know, like uh, no one could ever no one could ever get it done. You know, I always thought as a kid, like what kind of a swerve would that be, and would it ever make TV if you know, you're up there bouncing a basketball and you know damn well that, you know, you're going to get to 14 and Virgil or Ted's going to kick it. So what happens if you just kind of turn and, and get that last bounce in? Do they pay you? It probably doesn't air. They shoot it in the next town. But, right. you know, that 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 whole gimmick uh, of, you know, humiliating people like that was just was so brilliant, man. I mean, that was that was just uh, probably my favorite one is when he had the little boy come on stage, told him if he can bounce the basketball 15 times in a row, yep. he'd pay him 500 bucks. Well, well, the Million Dollar Man is here. And as you can all see, I'm accompanied by my man, Virgil. And in one hand, Virgil has a basketball. And in the other hand, Virgil has just a small sampling of the Million Dollar Man's millions. I'm going to give somebody here the opportunity to make some of my money. Now, all you got to do to make some of my money tonight is bounce the ball. We got us a little basketball player right here. Security, let's bring him up here. What's your name, son? Sean. Okay, Sean. Can you dribble a basketball? You can dribble a basketball. Okay. Virgil, give him the basketball. Now, let me see. Can you dribble that basketball 10 times? Well, let me see you dribble the basketball 10 times. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. Good. Oh, okay. Pick the ball up, Virgil. Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, Sean. If you can dribble this basketball 15 times consecutively without missing, look at here. I'm going to give you $500. Now, I know you and your family could use $500. I can tell by looking at you that you could use a lot more than 500 bucks. Okay, Sean, 15 times. Ready, go. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Oops! Oh. We didn't get to 15, Sean. You didn't get to 15, did you? No. He didn't make 15. And you know what that means? What that means, John, is you've got to learn a hard, cruel fact of life. When you don't do the job right, you don't get paid. <laughs> After the 14th bounce, he kicks it away, sending the kid back to a seat. Crying. But in reality, DiBiase claims everybody who was picked that didn't get paid on camera would later get still get paid off camera. <laughs> yeah, that might be the case. You know, that might be the case. But man, I, I yeah, still made for good TV. You made for great TV, especially great TV. especially because I, I want to say the little basketball kid 
you know, he just had that look in his eyes and the camera, the camera just, you know, got was, like, yeah. I think it's pretty, I think that's a pretty iconic, you know, little vignette that they did, uh, you know, with, uh, with them. It just that whole series of, of, of interviews uh, slash vignettes that, that he did was, I mean, that was great. And, you know, you, you, you want to know the formula for instant heat is taking a kid out of the crowd and tell him you're going to give him 500 bucks and bounce and tell him if he bounces the ball 15 times and then kick that some bitch at 14 like that yeah yeah that, that that's heat right there he began using his signature moves like the scooping power slam back diving elbow <laughs> back diving elbow drop uh, the million dollar fist drop and the million dollar dream then he'd stuff a hundred dollar bill into the opponent's mouth as they laid him on the mat of course virgil would kind of sneak behind and grab it before before they left i mean how brilliant is that you know but you got to think too though. look at virgil how many of them hundred dollar bills do you think virgil just stuffed down his tights and <laughs> probably everybody forgot about yeah 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 that, it was uh, probably a that, that uh <clears throat> money it's probably a good source of uh, uh extra income for him for right. A, right. a number of years you know his first big in in ring angle came in late 87 when he wanted to buy the WWF title from Hulk Hogan, Hogan said if DiBiase won it, he'd have to defeat him in the ring. Uh, backstage, Hogan remembered DiBiase putting him over at the garden and winked and said it's payback time. So kudos to Hogan for returning the favor to DiBiase. Hogan's not dumb. He could see money in this gimmick, mm -hmm. and he was going to use it himself. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it... – you know, when, when, you, when, you, when you're in the ring and you're looking across, you're looking at your opponent, that's what it all comes down to is marketability, money, you know, what you can draw. And, and, and who you can draw with. And who you can draw with, you know, exactly. It, it, you look, if you're Hulk Hogan and, and you're running off the Hulkamania formula, you know, you've been catering to the kids, you've been, you know, telling everybody to say their prayers, eat their vitamins, doing all that spill for, at this point, what, you know, I mean, five years or so, six years, you know, you put somebody in there to work opposite of him that has got that gimmick that has, has built that reputation up. Who's, you know, out, you know, basically highway robbery on kids, you know, that are, that are almost doing these, these feats. And then you, you put them in with Hogan like that to me, that's money, man. I mean, that's money. And, and, you know, the Million Dollar Man was really a short-lived gimmick, but there was so much that he did in that little bit of uh, that, you know, what, probably five, six, seven years that, that was just, I mean, it's memorable. Is that really it? You figure what, you, he came into WWE in 87, and you figure probably by yeah. 92, he was, he was, he was not, you know, I mean, he, he no, no, I take that back, because he, he, you know, he was uh, with Erwin R. Shyster, and they did all that WrestleMania stuff. I mean, probably but six, seven years. Ninety-seven, yeah. Yeah, yeah, six, seven years. So he, he wasn't. Yeah, he wasn't. It was a very, it was a very short-lived. But you know, he made such an impression. Well, yeah, and, lasting and, impression. You know, yeah, and got the gimmick over so much that it kind of makes you feel like you know, like well, you know, hell, he's still the million-dollar man. If yeah. you see him today, you don't think of him as Ted DiBiase. That's the million-dollar man. Yeah, he's pretty much done by ninety-six. Hogan always had the advantage in the matches. Imagine that. That coward has run from Andre for a year. Tonight, he meets the Giant. And the rest is history. He's had the finest training at the finest facilities that money can buy. Everyone knows that money makes the man. And it takes big money to match up to a big man like this. That's why Andre's with me, the Million Dollar Man. And that's why Hulk Hogan is always with those nickel and dime Hulkamaniacs. 
Hulk Hogan is small change compared to Andre the Giant. Your account is overdrawn, Hogan, and Andre's gonna close it. Until DiBiase hired Andre the Giant to win the title for him, which he did on February 5th, 1988, in the infamous identical Hebner match. The ref made the three count despite Hogan's shoulders being up. Afterwards, the real Dave Hebner came out to the ring to dispute the outcome of his evil twin, Earl. As soon as Andre was given the title, he announced that he was surrendering the championship to DiBiase and immediately gave it to him. During this post-match interview, Andre accidentally called it the Tag Team Championship twice, and this is one of the most creative finishes ever. A second headbutt. Andre spins a hook through around. Suplex right on top of him. He's on him. One. We get a two. That's it. We got him. him. He got him. He got him. No, he didn't. The referee counted three. We've got a new world champion. No, we don't either. I told it, McMahon. I told you. I told the world that the Giant would win it. He is the new world heavyweight champion. The myth of Hulk Hogan's over. Here you are, the new world wrestling heavyweight champion. This is no surprise. I told you I'm going to win the World Tag Team Championship. And now, I surrender the World Tag Team Championship to Paul Tibiasi. Is that Dave Hebner? Or is that Dave Hebner? How could there be two Dave Hebners? Who's the real Dave Hebner? You tell me, Jesse Ventura, and what is going on here? I think it's the one on the left. I think the Dave, Dave Hebner, I don't know who the, uh, the imposter is. Look at these two. Each one, they look like identical twins. Oh, man. You know, it, it if... I'm not mistaken. Did they, did they did they sell it as an evil twin, or did they they sold it as well? At first, had to. DiBiase must have went and got you know somebody plastic surgery. Plastic surgery. I thought that's how they sold it. You know, I mean, yeah. like that. How brilliant is that? You know, like I can I I can remember sitting down watching this, and and, and you know seeing it, and then seeing the swerve, and then all of a sudden you see you know the both Hebners out there, and you you know at that point I don't know if. You know, I mean, your casual fan, which I was at the time, your casual fan had no idea there was a a, a, a second Hebner brother. Well, they said I'd read somewhere online that uh, when Vince hired the Hebners to to ref, he told them that, that we're not telling anybody that you're twins, and they he just booked them both, but never said anything because he wanted to wait for that right time to be able to do something, wow. and this was it. Yeah, it's yeah, definitely that, the right time. Uh, yeah, 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 definitely the right time. Uh, that, uh, you know, that shows how great Vince's brain is, though. Yeah. You're going to hire in a set of twins, let them work. You know, and I don't even know how long they had been employed by this time, but let them work however many matches, well, and then, but but know that you're going to do something special. And, one and, day. and think about think about this that 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 one match right there, literally, that dictated what WrestleMania four. I mean that that the wrestle mm-hmm. WrestleMania four the tournament was done that way because of the way that that it, you know it would, it's crazy yep. man it's crazy when you think about. You know the the long-term the angle. booking. Yeah. Oh man, long-term booking. You don't you don't yeah you don't see that kind of stuff anymore, unfortunately. And you know, uh, but but then again, I don't know if you you know if you if you see characters quite like Ted DiBiase anymore. You know, uh, he was he was a, a a true character to to you know. I mean, like that guy 
that guy was was you know could you imagine could you could you imagine and i know we're going back and beating a dead horse here but could you imagine going into a bar and you basically have an unlimited supply of money vince mcmahon they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna reimburse you on everything so you just go in and 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 the genius thing credit to vince it was all a tax write-off because it was for the business yeah yeah absolutely absolutely yeah i mean that to me that you know to me like perfect timing um could somebody else have done it i just again it's been replicated never be duplicated it never 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 will it be duplicated Soon after this, DiBiase was stripped of the title since he didn't actually win by pinfall or submission, so the title was vacated. Fun fact, though the shortest title reign in WWE history, officially holding the title for 1 minute and 48 seconds, Andre's world title is actually still recognized. Wow, that's going to be tough to beat. <laughs> that's going to be tough to beat. Well, it's crazy to think that they they recognized it as a, as a, as a title change, you know, right. uh, uh even with with all this, you know, with all this instant replay and stuff that they got nowadays, they couldn't go back and at least put an asterisk next to it. <laughs> a tournament took place to crown a new WWF champion at WrestleMania 4, where DiBiase was defeated by the Macho Man Randy Savage in the finals. DiBiase was basically, and I hate to say it, but a transitional champion, so a top baby face of the company could hold the title while Hogan was away uh, filming No Holds Barred. DiBiase continued to feud with Savage throughout the summer of 88, leading to a tag match between DiBiase and Andre and uh, what was called the me- uh, the Mega Bucks versus Hogan and Savage, the Mega Powers, at the very first SummerSlam where Hogan pinned DiBiase to win the match. Wow. Yeah, that, that, that you know, that at, at WrestleMania 4, man, was that a good one. I, I loved I loved the 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 Hogan Andre finish. It made both of them still look strong, you know, to be disqualified. <clears throat> you know, we've seen mid states <clears throat> mainstay uh, Butch Reed, former mid states heavyweight champion. He was in there. I think he was. Uh, I think he may have been a first round loss to to Savage. But, super uh, over in Florida. Oh, super over in Florida. <laughs> he still ha- he still don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> DiBiase went on to win the 1988 King of the Ring. Marking his first WWF success, he competed in the main event of 1988 Survivor Series and eliminated Hercules, whom he'd been feuding with after buying his contract from Bobby the Brain Heenan. From the first day I set foot in the World Wrestling Federation, I said it, and I've proved it time and time again. Everything and everybody has a price for the Million Dollar Man. You've seen the things that I've bought. People kissing my feet, wiping the sweat off my body. I have cars, I have boats, I have planes. You name it, I've got it. Now, Oakland, I have made the biggest purchase of my entire life. I have something that nobody else in the world has. I have it bought and paid for. Bobby Heenan, thank you very, very much. Thank you very, very much. It's all here? Every penny. (laughs) What are you you talking about here, Ted DiBiase? Hercules. Wait a minute, gentlemen. What the hell is trust he talking me, about? Trust eh? me, don't worry about what? it. Remember, <laughs> hey, Sarah, Sarah, whatever oh, will be, will oh, be. Man, this is supposed to go down, Bobby. The party's no. over. No, The new position you have right now is something, buddy, oh. something that you've earned. No! Oh, please! What, what are you now, doing? Hercules!
your position. You don't talk. You don't walk. You don't speak. You don't put your hands on anybody unless I give you permission to. Do you understand? What is that? Oh, come on. DiBiase, hammering on. Got it in him. Virgil goes strong, and that leaves only two on the platform. DiBiase, Virgil, running for cover. Another great angle. Yeah, yeah. I... At the 1989 Royal Rumble, DiBiase bought the number 30 entrance spot from Akeem <laughs> to become the final entrant. Genius. I genius you you and again you couldn't do that you you know like how did we not go into that match not knowing you know that ted dibiase was going to buy the number 30 spot <laughs> it came down genius. to dibiase and big john stud dibiase tried to bribe stud to eliminate himself but stud eliminated dibiase instead on march 11th 1989 before defeating the blue blazer he debuted the million dollar championship his own championship belt which was not recognized by the WBF, although they, they continued to use it, said to uh, be quite expensive. Yeah. I, you know, I still think I still think you can go to www.wweshop.com and you can still get a replica million-dollar belt. I mean, that thing, those, the, those vignettes that they did, when he went into the, to the, to the jeweler, you know, to, to pick up the belt, those were so brilliant. You know, he storms through the door and he's wearing a freaking cape. You know, he's wearing yeah, a cape. Which was Vince's cape. Yeah, yeah, that, that's what I was going to say. The story goes that Vince had the cape, and he's like, yeah, Why put, do, let me put it on. Yeah, yeah, well, every rich guy needs a cape, right? You know, it's like, it, to me, it was it was great. And, you know, he walks into the, the jewelry store. I actually watched the, the you know, the minute and a half uh, thing today. He walks into it, and he asks for the jeweler by name, you know, and, and the jeweler comes up and, you know, presents it to him. Which was I, an just, actual jeweler in Stanford. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We yeah, finally yeah. have something worthy enough to call the Million Dollar Championship or whatever. Yeah. Oh, man, like that, 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 that belt, you know, we were talking, we were talking earlier, me and Chapman here, and, and we kind of come to the conclusion that that was the first ever, like, signature belt for, yeah. for somebody. For an individual. For an individual. I, th I think so. You know? Yeah. You know, um, in fact, I think, you know, I guess the only other one that I can think of that that is kind of, you know, of course the FTW uh, championship, and then of course UFC's B, what is it, uh, BFM or or yeah, yeah. BFM. But you know, uh, now we're not talking variations of the heavyweight title because of course everybody knows the smoke and skulls and stuff like that. Those were just variations of the heavyweight championship for yeah, that individual. Just the individuals, but you know, Ted DiBiase, <clears throat> you know, he. he that man, I mean, how brilliant! How brilliant was that? Preacher you know? talks about when uh, him and Ted went to pick it up. You know the little dollar sign side plates. Mm -hmm. That was basically the buckle, the front, and they're like, "This ain't gonna work." So they called Vince, and they had the guy had to redo it because it looked like an actual, like a regular belt. And they had mm -hmm. to explain to the jeweler, "No, the front needs to be bigger. It needs to be seen." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah hey, so they made it, they needed it made like a championship belt instead of well, a, you know, and 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 you know, here we are, 
40 years later, 25 years later, I don't know how long ago that was. That was what, 89, 88, somewhere in there. So we're 30 something years removed. I really, I wonder what that belt really costs to, to be made. Cause I can tell you this, you know, from a, a jeweler's perspective, you know, if each one of those stones were real, you know, one carat stones, you know, you're legitimately looking at a three, $500,000 belt. Yeah, you know, it was mo mostly uh, QZs, but there was a couple of real diamonds. And I've heard, I've read anywhere from 50 to like 125,000. Still, that's wow. that's a lot. So so it, it, it begs the question, was was it made of real gold? You know, uh, yeah, wow. I bet it was, <laughs> gold plated anyway. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gold plating. Uh, yeah. He went on to face uh, Brutus the Barber Beefcake at WrestleMania 5 and then started a feud with Jake the Snake Roberts. DiBiase defeated Jimmy Superfly Snuka at SummerSlam by countout. On October 14th on Saturday night's main event, he faced Hulk Hogan for the WWF title and had Zeus with him. DiBiase lost when he accidentally hit Zeus and was pinned by Hogan with a small package. In 1989 Survivor Series, DiBiase's million-dollar team, which was himself, Warlord, Barbarian, and Zeus faced Hogan's Hulkamaniacs of Hogan, Jake Roberts, and Demolition. I'm just going through some of these matches because he's he competed and performed with the who's who of the business. Yeah, absolutely. That's the thing is the dude was a main event talent, main event yeah. raw, you know, but uh, a lot of argument, you know, he never won the title, but once that million-dollar belt came out, he didn't need to win it. You know, he had his, his championship. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and and obviously having having somebody like Hogan, so to speak, in your back pocket, mm -hmm. you know, you know, doing those favors early in Ted's, you know, Ted's run for Hogan probably really resonated with Hogan, and it's nice to get that rub, you know, when when Hogan's on top like he is, and yeah, you know, and you're not happy about something. All Hogan has to do is say that don't work for me, brother. That don't yeah. work for me, brother. I think yeah. we'll get Teddy in here. In 1990, he was punished for buying the number 30 in the previous year's Royal Rumble and was forced to enter as the first entrant. So, again, long-term story booking. This was a year in the mm -hmm. making. At that time, he broke the record by lasting 45 minutes after entering as the first entrant. At WrestleMania six. he defeated Jake the Snake Roberts by countout, briefly feuded with the boss man. At SummerSlam 1990, he bought the services of Sapphire, who was manager of Dusty Rhodes at the time, which led to a feud between those two. On October 13, 1990, he attacked Dustin Rhodes during Dusty's match with Randy Savage. And at the 1990 Survivor Series, DiBiase and Dusty captained rival teams with DiBiase's mystery partner, turning out to be the debut of The Undertaker. Everybody's got a price for the Million Dollar Man. So without further ado, I will introduce to you now my mystery partner, led to the ring by his manager, Brother Love, weighing in at 320 pounds from Death Valley, I give you The Undertaker. <laughs> the Undertaker, the mystery partner is now revealed. I never heard of him. Oh, take oh, a look. Cow. Look at the size of that ham hock. Man, oh man. You know, just to have your name tied to that in, in any shape or, or form or fashion well, yeah, is, you know, is good. Think. The first, the very first person <clears throat> to ever introduce the Undertaker to the crowd was the Million Dollar Man. Ted mm -hmm. And he's gonna, yeah. uh, we're gonna get shortly to another big name. He did the same thing for right. at the 1990 Thanksgiving episode of Saturday Night's Main Event. DiBiase faced the Ultimate Warrior in a World Title match. 
DiBiase lost by disqualification after Virgil attacked the Warrior. Like many others during this time, DiBiase developed a real-life disdain towards the Ultimate Warrior and would later become pretty vocal about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of people have, though, you know. They can, you can do what you want. You know, they had that DVD come out uh, years ago that I think it was the self-destruction of the mm-hmm. Ultimate Warrior where everybody just talks smack on the dude. Yeah. You know, and then, then Warrior gets back in the good graces and they, they go to make another video for the Warrior to make it better. But if you actually watch it, they're still just talking crap about him. Everything mm-hmm. they've said is true. Mm-hmm. You know, rest in peace and God bless and all that stuff. But yeah. Well, you know, nobody you, liked him. You know, it's you talk difficult about to work with different yeah. feuds. I think I think one of his his more underrated feuds that he had was with was with Bossman. Do you remember how that that kind of came about? Like that actually was yeah. Bossman's face turn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he that, tried that, to pay him to to get the to belt get, back to from get, Jake Roberts. Yep, with, from Jake Roberts, and, and it happened it. on on Brother Love show. You know. Uh, and, 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 you know, it seemed like for weeks, you know, DiBiase was trying to get somebody to reach into that bag and pull that belt out. And then, of course, Bossman did it. And, man, I, 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 you know, Ted could work with anybody. And I'm not not discounting anything that, that you know, the big boss man could do because we all know how athletic he was and how. But Ted was, Ted was a worker, you know. And he, here's he what's could, crazy. I know some of these characters are cartoonish. But it, it was believable. It worked. You know, but, no, you're right. You know, you had the warrior. You had. You had all these little gimmicks that were you know, doink, uh, all that stuff that were so cartoonish. Mm-hmm. But you know, out of all of the out of all the characters they had, you know, Ted DiBiase was, was the more was the most authentic, I, I, most realistic. I, I agree with you one hundred percent. I think I touched on it earlier. Everybody knew somebody that was like that. Mm-hmm. And everybody, you know, and, and you just kind of like you know to have have DiBiase smear it in your face, whether it you know in a promo or whatever it was. It just, you know, you always just talking down to you, I guess. Well, he's the ultimate movie star villain. Yeah. You know, yeah, he's, the, yeah. He, he's the perfect villain for a James Bond movie. Oh, man. He's the perfect villain, you know, just for everything. I, I, man, I, you know, of course, you, you, you followed my wrestling career for at least the last couple of years. You know, it's safe to say that, that I've, you know, I've borrowed a couple of things from Ted DiBiase, you know, over the years. It just, you know, he just, he, he has that, he has that, that gimmick that, just you want to punch him in the face. You don't like him, you know. And, and when when the characters played as well as Ted played that character, you know, you just you can't help but you know go God. You know, I wonder, I wonder, you know, because I think every every character, you know, is an extension of that person. And you know, deep down inside, there had to have been a little bit of an asshole in in Ted, you know, to to mm-hmm. to put it to put it out there and to be over like he was. Because that man, like that guy, with that. That that right there, like when you think of like late '80s wrestling for me, man, Ted DiBiase was 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 the 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 heel. You know, I mean, and don't get me wrong, you had your, you know, your savages and you had your Andre the Giant, but you didn't have, you know, like it wasn't like Ted DiBiase because Ted DiBiase to me felt real. You know, it just felt like a real real character. At the 1991 Royal Rumble, DiBiase and Virgil defeated Dusty and Dustin Rhodes. After the match, DiBiase ordered Virgil to put the million-dollar belt around his waist. Instead, Virgil hit DiBiase with the belt, turning himself face. And at WrestleMania seven, DiBiase lost by countout to Virgil, who had helped, who had help from Rowdy Roddy Piper, which led to a feud between those two. And it was also during this time where Sensational Sherry became his valet. Yeah, 
No, yeah, man, I, I I hated to see the Virgil character go. I just I felt like that that was just a, you know, I I don't know if you could get away with that in today's you know world of wrestling. I you know, think so. um, I think it's a little too risky. But back then, for the character, man, I, you needed a butler, you know, and, and you know he kind of reminded me. There used to be a uh, sitcom on ABC. I think it was called Benson or something. Benson, like that. yeah, he was like yeah, a Benson. governor. He, he, yeah, yeah, he, he did like uh, it just it reminds me of of you know of how I just you know it just reminds me of a character out of a out of a TV show. You was know? he like the butler for the a governor or some rich? So, yeah, yeah, I think I think that's what it was. He was a butler for a governor or something. I can't remember exactly, but you know that that's what he reminded me of. He kind of reminded me of the Benson character, and you know, of course. It, Man, like, like Virgil, you know, we can't, we can't do a DiBiase episode without talking about Virgil's getup. Like, like his getup, you know, he had the, 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 the tuxedo suit that, you know, had the, the, the long tail and, you know, of course he had cut the sleeves off and it was all glitzed and glam. Yeah. Man, that, what, what, you know, uh, poor Virgil never could get over. Well, that's just a little bit, so yeah, yeah. you know, a lot of stuff was brought on by himself, yes, yes, thank you very much. Because, you know, don't get me wrong, like, you know, you know, they're characters, you know, I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, they're characters, and and you know, uh, Teddy Biasi, he got to play that character, he did a damn good job of playing that character, where you know, Virgil, Virgil, Virgil's character didn't really do much other than, you know, walk up with the smug look on his face and rip that hundred dollar bill out of that person's mouth or just kind of stand there. You know, there was, there was not really a lot of character development other than just standing there, you know, smug wearing a, you know, uh, a tuxedo with cut off arms, you know? (laughs) So I, I don't, I, you know, even, even when he got his push, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't he was never going to be as over as he was as Virgil for you know Ted DiBiase. On the April twenty seventh Saturday night's main event, DiBiase fought Bret Hart to a double countout, another underrated feud he was in. And at the nineteen ninety one SummerSlam, DiBiase lost the million dollar belt to Virgil by pinfall after Virgil smashed his head into an exposed turnbuckle. In the nineteen ninety one King of the Ring tournament, DiBiase and Ricky Steamboat went to a time limit draw, which uh, eliminated both from the tournament. Still, though great match and it's a good way to you know neither one of them was going to win so it was a good way to to get them both out well yeah you know you gotta think going an hour long draw with ricky the dragon steamboat that's no that's no small feat no you know there's not everybody out there can just do that and uh you know you look at dibiase and dibiase was never like jacked he never you know he had he's had a dad bod before the dad bod was cool Mm -hmm. and so to think that he could go you know an hour with with steamboat i mean that really says something he ended up getting his million-dollar belt back and continued to feud with Virgil and competed in the 1991 Survivor Series and at This Is Tuesday in Texas that we've covered before with some help by the Repo Man as his tag partner. After the 92 Royal Rumble, DiBiase formed the tag team Money Incorporated with Erwin R. Scheister, IRS. They uh, were mostly managed by Jimmy Hart and won the WWF tag titles on three separate occasions, had feuds with the Legion of Doom, the Natural Disasters, and the ultimate maniacs, which is the ultimate warrior and Randy Savage. I, I, I tell you what, man, you know, a, a lot of people will go and I, and I, I probably am one of them will criticize it, 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 
you know, DiBiase was never really a world champion, but, you know, think about, think about all the champions at the time, you know, uh, uh, you talk in, you know, what, 91, 92, Hogan, Hogan was on top still, or, or, you know, uh, I guess, yeah, Hogan, Hogan would, Warrior and Savage. Yeah, Hogan, Vince, Warrior and Savage. Vince always wanted his top baby faces to hold the title. Yeah. Think about oh, it. Yeah. It's true. Mm-hmm. I can't you can't think of many heels at the time who held the title for very long at a time at all. It was always Hogan, Savage, or Warrior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. yeah, they'd lose it right before a big pay-per-view, and then they'd win it back well, on the big pay-per-view. Well, and, and so so one one needs to ask themselves, you know, it's like you're you're gonna get taken out of the heavyweight championship picture, you know, focus, you know, maybe let the booking committees let you focus on, you know, winning one of the other titles or the tag titles. I, I personally love Money Incorporated, Erwin Erwin R. Scheister. I, I I think because the fact that my wife is an accountant. You know, uh, I, 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 anytime I ever say that to her, she giggles and laughs. And, you know, you when I show, we'll pay your taxes. When I, when I show her pictures of, uh, of, of him, you know, she just gets a kick out of it because, you know, uh, he's wearing the white, you know, the white button up shirt with well, the red suspenders. He looks like an accountant. Mike Rotunda was an amazing talent. Unfortunately, oh, whether it was WWF or WCW, for whatever reason, they gave him the worst gimmicks possible. Yeah. But man, that guy could work. Oh, and, you know, honestly, though, you think about that IRS gimmick, that was a good gimmick. It was his, one put, of his better ones. I think that one and his varsity. Uh, yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. The varsity team. Well, didn't he, he tried to, club, in, yeah. he tried to take the, uh, varsity club, yeah. he tried to, did he try to take the IRS gimmick to WCW? Well, they, they made him uh, Michael it, Wall Street. Michael Wall Street. Right, VKM, right. VKM, Vince's. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, we're going to circle back real quick. Virgil was a gig toward Dusty Rhodes and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. Crockett Promotions, WCW. Once Virgil went back or jumped ship to WCW, they named him Vincent as a jab towards WWF. Mm-hmm. They also named yeah. IRS VKM, which was Vincent's Vincent Vincent Kennedy, Kennedy McMahon's McMahon. initials. So a little back and yeah. forth there. Wow. <laughs> At the 1993. Poking, poking the bears. Yeah. At the 1993 Royal Rumble, DiBiase entered number four, but was eventually eliminated by The Undertaker. Money Incorporated continued to dominate the tag division, had feuds with the Steiner Brothers and Brutus the Barber Beefcake and Hulk Hogan. DiBiase and IRS attacked Beefcake and slammed his face with a briefcase, then attacked their own manager, Jimmy Hart, after he thought they had gone too far because Brutus was recovering from facial surgery and had that, you know, protective covering. This led to a match at Like, like a shoot facial surgery. Yeah, yeah, supposedly smashed it yeah. to a wind cell or something like that. Pa- he was, he was parasailing. It was yeah, a parasailing accident, I believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This led to a match at WrestleMania 9 between Money Inc. and Beefcake and Hogan. DiBiase and IRS retained the titles by disqualification after Hogan used uh, Beefcake's protective mask as a weapon. DiBiase went on to feud with Razor Ramon, which led to a match at SummerSlam in which DiBiase lost. This would be DiBiase's final WWE pay-per-view match he later went on to reveal that uh, his decision to leave was because he was having some marital issues well you know you talk about the the tag team matches the biggest one that i can think of it was them versus the road warriors uh it was an outdoor wrestlemania i don't remember which one it was but the road warriors they rode their harleys down okay it was a summer slam or yeah yeah it was a summer slam it was summer slam but he had the white boots, the white tights, and then the gold dollar sign. Just it looked great, and uh, of course that one. You know, everybody talks about that one. It was just recently on TV about how 
messed up Hawk was during that match. But, uh, you know, they just – him and him and IRS both, whether they were – whether DiBiase was in a singles uh, angle or a tag tag angle with, uh, with uh, IRS, man, those guys could have been main event tags – you know, main event players every night. They could have been tag champs forever. They were so, so good. Um, but, you know, it comes back to they didn't really need the belt. Mm. You know, they, I know they had them. But they didn't need to have them for very long. They right. they they just had that good gimmick. They had the they worked really well with each other. Well, and, and going back going back again, you know, with with uh, I was talking earlier about you know DiBiase doing doing Hogan the favor. You know, uh, uh, how many up to that up to that WrestleMania nine match? How many times was Hogan not in the main event, excluding four because you know he was eliminated in the first round of four with Andre, but he was always in the main event. You know, and th- th- this was one, and I guess I guess I should say he ended up inserting himself into the main event. That I was going to say so, he actually ended up being the main event. Yeah, yeah, he did. He did end up being the main event. But you know, that was one of those words like, "Oh shit, Hogan's done by intermission." Are you kidding me? You know, isn't like he, this what the uh, the famous that don't work for me, brother? That don't work for me, brother. This Hogan must pose. I think is the big the big thing that came out from from yeah. that uh, that WrestleMania. They wanted to end the show with Hogan posing. Well, you know, let's circle back around real quick to Sherry being the being the manager. You know, which Sherry was great. Don't get me wrong, but. You look at you look at Ted DiBiase the way he way he carried himself, the way he could talk on the mic. Honestly, why did, why would you ever put anybody with him? Yeah, he didn't need he didn't need a mouthpiece. He had it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when the, you know, and even more than Sherry, because Sherry wasn't a big big talker. She had her little spills, but Jimmy Hart, you know, the mouth of the South, who is a talker. He is that that guy that gets out there and can talk and can Come do on, stuff. Man. Yeah, but he didn't need it. No, you know, right. when you when you were the million dollar man and and you could cut promos like he did. I guess I, I guess Sherry is acceptable just because for a for a uh, I, I mean I'd say sex piece, but sex appeal, you know, just to have a have a have an attractive female on your arm. But honestly, they just did not need it, and I, and to me that was a waste. All right. In 1994, DiBiase returned to the WWF at the Royal Rumble as a guest commentator and manager. As a manager, DiBiase purchased the contracts. I like that, purchased the contracts mm-hmm. of uh, wrestlers for his billion-dollar corporation stable, which over time included IRS, Bam Bam Bigelow, Nikolai Volkov, Kama Mustafa, which is the godfather, King Kong Bundy, Psycho Sid, the 123 Kid, and Tatanka. DiBiase also claimed he was going to bring back the Undertaker, who had been away for a little bit. Uh, instead, he brings out the underfaker, Brian Lee. Of course, this <laughs> led to a match between uh, Lee and, and Callaway. Lee was defeated by the real Undertaker at that SummerSlam. DiBiase had a part in the main event at WrestleMania 11 as the manager of Bam Bam Bigelow in his match against Lawrence Taylor. He later introduced the ringmaster as the new million-dollar champion. A few years later, we would come to know this guy as Stone Cold Steve Austin. I have searched and searched and searched in the hopes that I could find someone who would exemplify what I feel a million-dollar champion should be. But I searched in vain and in frustration until finally, Brother Love, finally, Brother Love, I have found him. So without any further ado, I give you the ringmaster. He is the million-dollar champion and ringmaster right here in front of everybody. I want to officially 
crown you my million dollar champion. Back up a little bit, brother. Everybody out there in TV land, I'm gonna give you a chance to be somebody. Come on, get the camera on that hand right there. I want everybody out there in TV land to touch your screen and feel what it's like to be destined for success. I'm gonna prove how good the ringmaster is. I'll be the one getting the shot at the World Wrestling Federation Championship. It doesn't mean anything compared to the million dollar belt, of course. I'm gonna do it all, and you're gonna see what the million dollar man and the million dollar champ are gonna accomplish. And then I'll have every single thing that I want out of the WWF. And why is that? Because everybody's got a price for the million dollar man. <laughs> Man, isn't that isn't that crazy to think that, you know, you're talking two two superstars that have uh, who just reached the pinnacle of their, you know, like the Undertaker and Stone Cold Steve Austin, and he introduced both of them. You know, if that doesn't tell you, you know, something, and, and he, you know, he wasn't he wasn't with Taker for very long. You know, I know he passed. Uh, did he pass the managerial duties? No, he introduced Brother Love as his manager already so he just brought him in and then with with the ringmaster he actually accompanied him to the ring you know yeah, yeah. yeah he was his manager it, it, you know do you think about that like you know two of the 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 biggest you know wrestling personalities if not you know the biggest wrestling personalities of the last 32 years you know uh they had something in common that's ted dibiase introducing them to to the wwf universe at the 1996 In Your House, DiBiase was forced to leave the WWF after Austin lost to Savio Vega. In reality, he had signed with WCW. On the August 26, 1996 episode of WCW Nitro, DiBiase debuted as the fourth member of the New World Order, joining Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, and Hollywood Hogan. He was a beneficiary. I think they actually called him that, the beneficiary. Uh, well, he held up the four fingers, and everybody thought, horseman? And then he said, next week, boom. Uh, he was playing off that million-dollar man persona, portraying as the financer of the group. DiBiase was a spokesman for the NWO for about three months until Eric Bischoff joined and replaced him in that role. DiBiase ended up quitting the NWO shortly after uh, Spring Stampede and said, I think, this is a shoot, he said, I think Eric saw how it was getting over and he saw how he could put himself in that role that he hired me to do. As as the, each week went by, pretty soon Eric isn't the announcer anymore and becomes a part of the NWO. And I just went to him one day and told him, I'm not just going to walk out there and be Hulk Hogan's Virgil. There was, some, you know, like like when he, when, when DiBiase first showed up and, and he came out as the fourth member of the, the New World Order, you know, for, for a few weeks after that, I, I, man, I just, I, I don't know. I just didn't feel like it was a good fit. You know, it, it just, I, I felt like it was flatlined and, and who knows, maybe, you know, Bischoff thought the same thing and interjected him, but, you know, coincidentally, you know, uh, that, that, that put him in a major, you know, a major, uh, a major spot on television and, you know, kind of, kind of kick, you know, kickstarted the whole easy E character or whatever, but I, I just, you know, watching him and watching him as the million dollar man in, in WWF for all those years and then seeing him come, you know, show up to to, to Nitro, I, man, I just felt like I just felt like it wasn't a good fit for him. You know, I didn't uh, I didn't like it. And, and even 
when he was done, you know, with the NWO, you know, that kind of kick started his little face run and it just, you know, first of all, you know, ma ma mama said, trust nobody, especially somebody that's wearing a damn, you know, uh, turtleneck, a white turtleneck on TV. You know, I think for a few weeks, you know, maybe not a turtleneck, but one of the little kind of turtleneck shirts or whatever. I, I hated the look. It didn't look right. I, I just, I wasn't a fan of, of his WCW uh, gimmick. A few months later, he turned face and began managing the Steiner brothers, leading them to two world tag team championships under his managerial services. DiBiase then became a road agent for WCW, but left when his contract expired in late 1999. Yeah. You know, it, 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 is it any coincidence? You know, I'm sure whenever he, he left in 99, he probably started hitting the, the, you know, the raw spots, doing the legend spots on raw, you know, once a year, you know, you know, once every two years or something like that. Uh, I don't know, you know, he, he had a lot of momentum going into WCW and then he, I, I felt like he lost all that yeah, momentum. Mm -hmm. In 2004, he returned to the WWE as part of the creative team for about a year and a half. And then in 2005 became a creative consultant and road agent for SmackDown on April 1st, 2006, he inducted, sensational sherry into the wwe hall of fame october 26 2006 he was released from that contract but i believe still has a legends deal with him and mm -hmm. still uh, makes an occasional special appearance december 10th 2007 at the raw 15th anniversary special he won a 15-man battle royal by bribing irs to eliminate himself uh dibiase originally wasn't even in the match but he comes down pays irs to eliminate himself and he wins the battle royal <laughs> on the May 28th or May 2008, he introduced his son Ted DiBiase Jr. to the WWE as his newest as its newest member. 2010, DiBiase was finally inducted to the WWE Hall of Fame. Yeah, uh, you know, man, I personally, when when Junior, when Ted DiBiase Jr. came into the WWE at 2008, I was pretty excited because that kid was a thoroughbred man. I mean, he he just with with all the with all of the the with Ted DiBiase you know with all of his oh how do I say it his stock or whatever you know just man that kid was just bound to be a superstar uh July 22nd 2019 DiBiase bought the WWE 24-7 championship from Alondra Blaze the 26 year space between his last title victory in 93 is reportedly the longest in WWE history and like I said, still doing loss of appearance. We've covered a lot of stuff here, guys. DiBiase has achieved success in the NWA, Mid-South, UWF, WWE, All Japan, holding an estimated 30 championships. And even though he never held a major singles title in the WWE, definitely deserved that Hall of Fame induction. I, I, you know, that's funny because he was such a big star in all those promotions. And all you can pretty much say is, and he made an appearance in WCW. You, 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 you want to, and man, I, I, I can't believe I didn't touch on this in the very beginning when we started talking about, you know, his, his trip to when, when he finally signed on with WWF. Do you know that he actually was, and you're going to have to, you're going to have to look this up if you haven't seen it yet. He was actually in an episode of Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous yes. with, Robin yeah. was it Robin Robin Leach Robin Leach yeah. yeah I remember seeing that and going he really is you know we can you know obviously they they were really pushing that character and, and it's actually you know, Vince's um, mansion and car too he was driving is it really yeah. oh, man yeah I, you know it just 
that character, that character, you know, you know, if he showed up on Monday night to an to to an audience of of this new generation of fans, they would still know who he was. Mm-hmm. They'd still know who he was. That 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 gimmick is priceless. That character will live on forever. Well, think about it. the teams and stables he was a part of: the Mega Bucks, Money Inc., Million Dollar Incorp- uh, Corporation, NWO, mm-hmm. Jimmy Hart, Sapphire, and Sensational Sherry. He had his managers. He himself managed Bam Bam Bigelow, the Fake Undertaker, IRS, Comma. Bundy, Volkoff, the Steiners, Sid, Steve Austin, Tatanka, one, two, three, kid, and uh, unfortunately, Santa Claus, which was Balls Mahoney. That was shortly. But <laughs> look at those names. Yeah, yeah, isn't, it, isn't that crazy? Uh, it just like 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 I said, man, that guy that guy will will go down in in history, you know, as just being one of the all time great performers uh, in, in professional wrestling. Well, that and Vince, you know, Vince took care of him, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. You know, but he played that part well for Vince, and all these years later, Vince is you know still letting him make his cameo appearances. Whenever he was done wrestling for whatever reason, he still had to manage. I mean, he was still he kept him relevant all these years later. When uh, you know, there's a lot of people that he didn't. He's won awards for best technical wrestler, feud of the year, most hated wrestler, the best manager, best gimmick, best heel. And I really think you know we often talk about some of the greatest managers of all time. DiBiase gets overlooked in that category a lot. Well, you know, but that's the thing is when you're when you're comparing people like Bobby Heenan and Jim Cornette and you know all these other guys, you know, it is it is hard to bring up or to remember. Yeah, to, but remember Slick, to put D, Slick gets a lot of credit when DiBiase uh, don't. You know what I mean? No, yeah, no, I agree. I, I agree. I'm not saying he should be overlooked. I'm just saying it's hard to it's hard to picture him in the same boat because he was such a phenomenal character. Uh, on his own he had the million dollar belt the unofficial world title wwf's first north american title three-time you know tag champion king of the ring hall of famer slammy award winner you name it but now a christian minister and in 1999 he founded the heart of heart of david ministry and travels the world ministering to churches camps and conferences tries to distance himself from virgil due to virgil booking various appearances on his own Mm-hmm. Uh, and claiming DiBiase would be with him without DiBiase's knowledge. And, of course, subsequently no-showing these events. He actually had to apologize to a lot of people for unintentionally no-showing. He had no idea Virgil had booked him Virgil's on these shows. Out. And that's what I meant earlier. A lot of this stuff Virgil has brought on by himself. He, he shows yeah. up to conventions that, you know, these legend stuff he wasn't even invited to. And he'll set up a table. And he, he, he always out. has that replica, that replica uh, million dollar belt with him too. Yeah, yeah. I think it was uh, either Sags or Knobs. They had a convention somewhere. It was like the Legends thing. People prepaid like 150 bucks. You know, you come during this time, you get everybody's autograph, picture, blah blah blah. Verbal just shows up. Wasn't even invited. So they feel bad for the guys. Like, okay, set a table up. One thing: do not charge these people. They've already paid for all of this don't be charging them any extra you can have your table get your publicity whatever sure enough they come back around there's virgil signing autographs taking 25 bucks for uh eight by tens over there and they had to kick him out well you know they ought to kick the fans out who in the world would pay 25 bucks for an eight by (laughs) ten virgil i mean come on oh man i i i have uh he's still he's still on the you know of course 2020 was a trying year for for a lot of people you know uh people that that do conventions and stuff like that you know uh 
so there was there were a lot of a lot of people tried to uh, make a little bit of scratch by doing you know virtual signings and stuff like that. And I've seen Virgil and in a couple of virtual signings and Soul uh, Train Jones, Soul Train Jones, boy, I, I I just yeah 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 I you know but like you said I, I I think Virgil's one of those guys I don't think that guy would sign anything for free you know like yeah. if you were four years old and you went up to him in an airport you know he'd probably make you make you buy him an orange juice before he uh, before he signed anything. Michael and Barry. DiBiase has said, look, the guy's just trying to make a living, but I've got to distance myself because I'm kind of guilty mm-hmm. by association if I'm around him. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's no hard feelings there, but um, I do think he was a little disappointed to learn that he had accidentally no-showed some events. He had no idea that Virgil had booked him on. There's been books about Ted DiBiase, uh, documentaries. He's got three sons that were all professional wrestlers. His mm-hmm. first son from, from his first wife, Mike, Mike wrestled in various indie promotions, but retired in 2009. On January 23rd, 2014, Mike was arrested following a 12-hour standoff with Amarillo police, initially sought by police for a parole violation. A SWAT team used tear gas to arrest DiBiase uh, for both a parole violation uh, and his original conviction stemming from tampering and destruction of evidence. Uh, also a charge of hindering apprehension. Also some prior theft charges. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. You know the 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 first time I ever got a got an opportunity to see his boys, uh, see his boys work. It was I believe Brett and Ted, and they were working with Harley, um, and uh, you know this this I shoot I'm trying to remember where it was. It was in Fordland, Missouri, I think is where where they they had this show in uh, in a uh, high school basketball gym or whatever. But it was the DiBiases versus the Vaughn Ericks. Uh, you mentioned Ted Jr. and Brett. Yeah, they were trained by Harley. Ted Jr. had a good run in WWE, a two-time tag champion with Cody Rhodes and part of one of my low-key favorite factions, Legacy, uh, mainly consisted of Randy Orton, Cody Rhodes, and Offa Anawaii Jr. and Sim Snuka were also briefly in that, but they were kicked out. February 15, 2008, Ted Jr. was arrested for DUI in Florida after crashing into another vehicle. No one was seriously injured, but his BAC was 0.13. He seems to be doing well now, running various charities, playing a big part of his father's ministry, which we will get to shortly. Currently the vice president of a business development for One Life America, which is an insurance company. Ted DiBiase Jr., though, was an absolute stud and could have been a superstar. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. One of my One of my favorites out of that little – that little group where you had uh, Orton, Ted DiBiase Jr., and uh, Cody, Cody, and mm-hmm. just that, to me, he stood he stood out. Yeah, I thought he I thought he stood out. I love the uh, you know the drop the fist where he lays down and they drop the fist like his dad used to do, mm-hmm. and just if he would have had a little bit more charisma to him, a little bit more charism, mm-hmm. you know, if he was a little bit more charismatic and maybe a little bit better on the mic, I think he probably could have went really really yeah. far. I, I I think he had the move set because don't we still see Randy Orton using his his uh, DDT off of the yeah. second rope. That was a, that yeah. was a DiBiase Jr. First time that ever happened. It was yeah. DiBiase Jr. It was DiBiase Jr. that brought that. And, you know, of course, I think if you tune in to, to Raw on Monday nights, you still see that pretty much every week. Then there's Brett DiBiase. From 2008 to 2011, Brett was working for WWE in their FCW developmental territory and making occasional appearances on the main brands. In 2011, he retired due to knee issues. Most recently, Brett was arrested February 5th, 2020 by state auditors of Mississippi 
in connection with a multi-million dollar fraud and embezzlement scheme and on December 17th of 2020 pleaded guilty. Man. Yeah, daddy's, uh, daddy's little uh, ministry or whatever was, church was involved in that too. Yeah, I don't know the status of that, but apparently uh, they donated quite the sums of money to like Ted two, Sr.'s two church. Million, $2 million or something like that, yeah. yeah. So uh, that's still yet to play out. But Ted DiBiase, you guys, uh, been a professional wrestler, manager, minister, commentator. Worked for the biggest names on the biggest shows and the biggest promotions and one of the best heels and technical wrestlers. Is he on your Mount Rushmore of greatest heels of pro wrestling? Gosh, of, gra of greatest heels. I think that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that, like I said, that character, and, and I know it was very short-lived, but for me per me personally, you know, I, I think that character had so much influence on on the character that I try to play. You know, I, I think it's pretty obvious if you see see me out there, you know, down to my my tights. You know, um, I, I don't, I don't, man, I, I, everybody, everybody knew a Ted DiBiase, whether it was who your dad worked for growing up, and you know, just the way that he portrayed that character. If, if you didn't walk away and go, God, I hate that guy. I want to punch that guy in the face. He didn't do his job right. And we all know he did his job right. That guy, that guy was a heat magnet simply because, again, everybody could relate to that guy. Everybody knew that rich guy. And, man, I, I, I actually do think that he's going he's gonna to sit up there on top of Mount Rushmore. But I think that would, that's an obvious answer for me. What about you, Bad Luck? I would say he's definitely on the on the Mount Rushmore of the all-time heels, and and probably even even on the all-time uh, heel tag teams with him and IRS. I I really liked Money Inc. I thought they were a great team together, and they really complemented each other together. So I would I would agree. I would have to say that they that they'd be on it. I think he's on mine too. Um, I think I have to have Rick Root on there. Um, mm. After that, it's pretty shady because you could insert a lot of people, but I definitely got to have. Ted DiBiase and Rick Root on that Mount Rushmore yeah. Hills. Well, how could you not have Flair? Uh, well, Flair, he's he, he's been both. He's been a top babyface. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Man, you go back to the to Rick Root. Was Rick Root ever a babyface? I don't know if he ever was a babyface. Was uh, DiBiase? Well, DiBiase was a babyface manager, but as an actual wrestler. Yeah, yeah, but as a wrestler, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, but you got to think of the greatest heels of all time, and you go back to the seventies and eighties. You know, Rick Flair. You know, I know that he did the face stuff later on, but man, and the, especially with the four horsemen and the man, Flair, the Flair was the ultimate heel back then. Yeah, I'll tell you, you another argument, one, but uh, somebody that was top baby face and top heel got to be Hogan. That's right. No, I, no. I was going to say, I was going to say, do you put Hollywood on that, uh, on that, 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 you know, Mount Rushmore? I'm afraid you do, man. Like that, uh, that I, I, you know, they're, they're, you know, you've always heard the phrase, you know, going through life, you know, when, when major events happen, you know, obviously, you know, I can remember where I was when 9-11 happened. Mm -hmm. I can remember different, you know, events that have happened in life. I can tell you exactly where I was when, when Hollywood Ho or when Hulk Hogan came down to the reach at, or down to the ring at Bash at the Beach and, you know, and, and dropped the leg, did the leg drop on Randy Savage, you know, Dude, that. I'll never forget Dusty Rhodes. Get him, get him, you know, get in there. Here he comes, here he comes. And you got Bobby the Brain Heenan going, yeah, but whose side's he on? Yeah. And that's the first time I went, huh. 
Yeah. Could it be? Yeah, you know, you know, Hogan, Hogan and and Heenan, they had a, a unique dynamic in the sense that it didn't matter. It didn't matter if Heenan was a heel and Hogan was a face, he always hated him. And it didn't matter if Heenan was a heel and Hogan was a heel. He still hated him. Mm-hmm. Yep. He, he was you, always against you, you couldn't Hogan. trust him. You couldn't trust him. So, you know, you know, when, when you know, again, when you talk about, but he you was know, also, the, you know, the contrary to that, he was also against Hogan, but he was also always behind Flair. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he was. Uh, several yeah. pay per views that were where Flair would go against like Vader when mm-hmm. they were both, you know, heels. Started off with that, with Bobby Heenan going, woo, you know, <laughs> in the background and, and no matter what organization or what it was, he was always a flare guy. Yeah. He couldn't hang, couldn't hang with him, but he was always a flare guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, guys. I think that about wraps it up. Follow us on Facebook at the Slop Drop, on Twitter at the Slop Drop One. Wherever you get your podcast, we're probably there. Leave us a good rating and review. Subscribe to us on YouTube as well. Again, you won't get the audio clips, but you'll get some cool video clips. Either way, as always, thank you all for listening. And until next time, we're out of here. Goodbye and good night.